It's July 24th, 2013, and welcome to another edition of Bite Mark Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa, and we'll be your geeks in residence for the next hour. First, we'll look at the latest tech news and happenings in Hawaii and beyond. And joining us today is Don Lippert from Picter to tell us about the next round for the Energy Accelerator. Finally, we will learn about video gamification and its applications in education and marketing. And of course, we'd love your questions and thoughts as part of the conversation, so be ready to call in or tweet. But first, the headlines. Early adopters in Honolulu are invited to fire up an app that will help get them around town with last week's soft launch of Uber's Service Inn on Oahu and in Honolulu. The uh, San Francisco-based startup builds itself as everybody's private driver. The company is still getting up its uh, black car service, setting up its black car service, which uses PUC-licensed limousine carriers to provide cashless on-demand transportation. Noting Honolulu's traffic woes, the company says it's bringing a new option to get around. Earlier this month, Bert and I were able to meet with Tomas Campos and Paul Faget, part of Uber's international expansion team. They are now spending at least six weeks on the ground here in Honolulu in preparation for the official launch later in August. They noted that this soft launch means that the network of drivers is very small and that there may be some hiccups early on, but they announced that they did have their Rider Zero in Honolulu that was surfer Kala Alexander and he summoned an SUV to pick him up on the North Shore on Tuesday. Well, the Honolulu, um, the company is also looking uh, to build up its local team, posting job uh, listings for an associate general manager and a community manager for the Hawaii market. Uber has been widely described as a disruptor, coming up against often entrenched transportation service providers and seeing some contentious launches in other cities. The black car service here is operating under state laws governed by limo services. And really what that means is that the uh, the black car service oftentimes is like a black car, like a, um, like a Cadillac or something, and they are all certified by the PUC as a limo service. So mm-hmm. once they get the, the certification... Uh, then they work it out with Uber to come up with a pricing. Uh, right, pricing Uber rate. does the dispatching and right. the management of that. And actually, Uber is always quick to say they have no drivers, they own no cars. It's more of the operations that they're using their app and their GPS and their demand management to handle. But they do have other offerings in other cities, of course. They have a regular taxi service. They have something called Uber X, which is really more like ride-sharing. In fact, you or anybody could be an Uber X driver, but those certainly take a little more longer to deploy if it can even be supported by the regulatory environment right, in the city. Right, right. And I think in, in uh, Honolulu, at least, uh, they're going with primarily the black car service, which I had the uh, privilege of, of uh, using the other day. I And the, you know, the hiccup that you're describing is that oftentimes there's a lot of cars in other cities that are more, let's say, the launch is completed and, you know, they're pretty um, established. But here, there's sometimes, you know, you might be requesting a car and it's not available. And mm-hmm. then, you, you know, you request it on the app and the app will say driver not available. So then you're sort of out of luck. So I, I, I tried a couple times and, you know, on my way back from the location that I was at, I, I did get a car. And, uh, yeah, it was great. It said seven minutes. It came in seven minutes and hopped in. Didn't have to, you know, transact any money. It was all done on the app. Mm-hmm. And I got to my location. It was a great ride. It is it is considered, or they do, do describe it as affordable luxury. So it's not like this yeah, is a discount right. service right. or even a taxi service. It was like $17. Dollars for you to bucks. get from yeah. Kakaako to downtown, and of course, I did spend eighteen bucks on a hamburger, so just kind of you yeah, know, kind of evened yeah, out. Yeah. The Hawaii State Department of Education has announced the first eight schools that will be participating in its Common Core Digital Curriculum Pilot Project pilot project for the upcoming school year. The project will provide students and teachers with a laptop or tablet, as well as new curriculum and training. 
It'll explore the effectiveness of technology tools in teaching the state's common core, which are new standards for English language and math education. Lawmakers appropriated $8 million for the pilot program in the last legislative legislative session, Keao and Pahoa Elementary Schools on Hawaii Island will be the first to receive their devices for the first semester, with remaining schools getting their equipment early next year. Keao Elementary had already been providing devices to students for the past two years, and in that time, they um, has seen test scores surpass the state average in math and reaching parity with the state average in reading, a notable improvement over previous years. Keao Elementary Principal Chad Faria said in a statement, The use of digital devices in our school has been a tremendous help in accelerating our students' love of learning, which translates into higher test scores and better attendance. The pilot program will provide data on student and teacher use, student engagement, as well as performance assessments. The DOE says it furthers the goals in its strategic plan through 2018 and takes advantage of separate efforts that are trying to expand the department's broadband infrastructure as well as modernize Hawaii's classrooms. I got a chance to uh, talk briefly with uh, Donna Lindela Cruz over at the DOE, and she uh, I was asking her if they had already decided what kinds of hardware uh, you know would be selected, and she said that's still kind of in the bid process and uh, not not uh, something that they've already selected. Mm-hmm. So it could be it could be anything from you know an Android tablet to uh, you know an uh, iPad or something. So well, some of the curriculum training that they said is part of this program is Google Apps for Education, mm-hmm. um, and so I would say with the Google background, if that's what they're going to be using for some of the infrastructure, it would make more sense to use an Android based tablet. But it's good to know that they're still looking at their options. Um, some of the schools, the rest of the schools, uh, Mililani, Malka, and Wayana Elementary, Nanakuli Elementary and uh, Intermediate and High, Wanalua Middle School, and Nana Ikapono Elementary. So if you want to find out more about this, you can go to their... Uh, they also launched, uh, I think maybe a couple weeks ago now, their brand new website, and you can go to hawaiipublicschools.org. Yeah, it's a nice website. Uh, in rela- related news, the DOE is also expanding the use of technology in getting students to the classroom with the rollout of the first phase of its Get On Board initiative to reform its public school student bus transportation system. For the first day of school next week, Monday, the initiative will be in place for 30 schools serving up to 1,000 students. Among the improvements, the addition of GPS tracking on buses a new routing software, and a revised procurement process. The system will track where and when each student boards and gets off a bus. Phase 1 will affect about 1,000 bus riding students in Aiea, Moanalua, Pearl City, and Waipahu, and it will also include restoring routes in Aiea, Halava Heights, and Waikele. Now, last summer, the DOE had to eliminate 100 bus routes statewide due to rising costs and cuts in funding. Department spending on bus service was criticized by a state audit last fall that showed that costs had tripled in just five years, reaching $72 million in the 2011-2012 school year. Since then, two bills signed into law by Governor Abercrombie have given the department more flexibility in awarding bus contracts, and the DOE enlisted a private firm to conduct an independent study of its bus transportation system, which was released in November. Uh, The study noted that Hawaii public school bus costs were among the highest in the country, spending $86,000 per bus route or about $1,700 per student. It cited an an absence of competitive bidding leading to higher rates paid to bus contractors. Now, it was interesting because, you know, I got a chance to talk to um, Assistant Superintendent uh, Ray LaRue a a little while back, and and he was kind of describing this uh, um, situation that they were in and 
I guess they had contracted these buses, and the buses weren't really providing them with any real usable information. So they didn't have any idea of how many students were on the buses and, and what were some of the more high-traffic bus routes. So they couldn't really modify any of the routes uh, as a result of that. So you know, his desire was really to figure out a way to get more technology and more information that would be actionable. Right. And I think you know, the way they did it was interesting because they, they went through the legislative process and got uh, a couple of acts passed. One was Act uh, uh, 257 and 258, which helped them, I guess, ease the, uh, the procurement process and, and make specifications for what they wanted in, this, in the procurement. Right. And certainly the addition of technology is helpful. And we've been talking a lot about what the city bus system has done with GPS and uh, ways to get more data on ridership to help them make better decisions on routes and such. So this is certainly a good decision to go in. And it's a very big program that we're talking about, 35,000 students on 700 buses with 12 contractors on five islands. It's a big deal. Although I do also want to mention, I mean, this has been something that Civil Beat has been tracking for quite some time. They Mm -hmm. did a a series called Taken for a Ride, uh, looking at how things changed, in fact, dramatically between 2007 and 2008, where competitive bidding basically stopped and prices could go up as much as 97 to over 100 percent. So it's certainly something that uh, we want to see taxpayer money used more efficiently, and technology is one way Mm -hmm. to do that. Mm Sleep deprivation can lead to a number of adverse health effects, but a new study announced yesterday by the University of Hawaii at Manoa suggests that people who lack sleep are also more likely to engage in prejudice and stereotyping behavior. Three different experiments using different methodologies were conducted involving 400 undergraduate university students, and in each, the researchers found that people who were sleep-deprived had more cloudy judgment when it came to racial attitudes. Well, uh, they first asked participants to imagine the typical day in the life of a Muslim woman. The more tired respondents were, um, the more they relied on ethnic stereotypes. The second involved evaluating resumes from applicants with stereotypically white or black-sounding names. And the third focused specifically on attitude toward black people. The researchers found connections between sleep deprivation and biases in the hiring process as well as unconscious biases toward particular groups. Lead author Sonia Guman, who is an assistant professor at the Scheidler College of Business, said in a statement, In our research, we found that sleep functions as a self-regulatory resource that, when depleted, leaves people less able to control their thoughts, attitudes, and behaviors in a non-prejudicial manner. By having a good night's sleep and being well-rested, individuals are more likely to be able to act appropriately in situations. Guman focused her research regularly on workplace diversity, religious discrimination, and cross-cultural work issues, and her study here of the influence of sleep quality and quantity on workplace behaviors actually extends broader studies that have been made of the effects of sleep loss on physical and emotional health. Well, you know, uh, you know, I haven't really done the research, but uh, you know, when I'm uh, sleep deprived, I usually am more grouchy <laughs> and probably more tired too, as a result of not getting sleep. Right. Then they talk about its effect not just on health but on judgment, right. you know, and, and such. So this, to some extent, makes a lot of sense. I thought it was also interesting that. Uh, this was a study, I, it, I, looking at the abstract, it appears that it was using 400 undergraduates at the University of Hawaii mm-hmm. to conduct the study. And because of the focus on, for example, attitudes toward Muslim people and black people, it made me wonder, is there another you know, angle they could come at it uh, based on the ethnic backgrounds of the people who are participating in the study? Like, mm-hmm. would you, mm-hmm. what kind of results would you get at a school in California or Ohio or in New York? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I think uh, it's interesting that they specified these particular racial 
sort of um, uh, judgments as a result of being sleep deprived. But I think you could probably apply this across the board to other kinds of decision making. Absolutely. Finally, a couple of quick stories I wanted to share with you. Two professors at UH Manoa have received five-year grants from the National Science Foundation. Uh, $569,000 was awarded to Jennifer Small for her research into the interactions between natural and man-made aerosols and clouds. $80,000 was awarded to Jason Kumar in physics for his work on modeling and detecting dark matter. The NSF Career Awards emphasize both research and hands-on outreach to high school and undergraduate students. On the tech calendar, next week in Hilo brings the monthly Tech Tuesday meetup at Hawaii Tech Works. Co-founders Cody Anderson and Tony Marzi hope to bring together programmers, creatives, students, engineers, entrepreneurs, and educators. That'll be again Tuesday at 5 p.m., and it's hosted by Hawaii Tech Works, but not at their facility. It uh, To get an invite and for more information, you can send an email to community at hawaiitechworks.org. And Ryan, it's great to have you back. You know, I know you were gone last week because we had uh, kind of pre-recorded the show and you were gone for a week uh, having some good times in San Diego and Comic-Con. Yep, so. it's my annual pilgrimage. My wife and I went. So It's uh, like it, Mecca for you, right? It, well, it's Mecca for nerds and geeks of all stripes. And uh, I think everyone would go if they could, but uh, getting tickets is is incredibly and famously difficult. And in mm-hmm, fact, this mm-hmm. is the first year we did not get passes for the whole event, just for two out of the days. But that was okay because we also love going to San Diego. So what was your most memorable experience there? Well, although I'm beginning to think we're a little too old for this, we did sleep outside of the convention center overnight yeah. on a grassy lawn to see the Hall H, which is the largest hall programming because they had sessions including Game of Thrones and Walking Dead, which are two very big TV shows for, for geeks and and I would imagine just about everybody else. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was quite an experience. It was cold by Hawaii standards, but we survived. And, you know, doing that was almost as memorable as actually seeing the panel and having all the actors on stage. Mm-hmm. Now, um, yeah, so I, I give you a lot of credit for uh, having slept, uh, you know, slept <laughs> on the sidewalk. I, I guess uh, you didn't you didn't bring a, a, a little tent or anything. You... We, no, we borrowed a blanket from the hotel, but it was not enough, I can tell you that. Um, we also went to Kevin Smith's session. He has one every year, and uh, it's about as graphic in terms of language as you might imagine, but he is still a very smart and interesting person. He talks a lot about disrupting media, Mm -hmm. about his work in film, but also trying to do more independently. And uh, as independent media people, and perhaps you and I, to some extent, uh, he had a lot of things to say that definitely resonated for sure. Oh, that's good. And uh, yeah, I I was kind of living vicariously uh, watching some of your tweets and then also doing some uh, searches on on, uh, YouTube. And if you do a search on YouTube and look at uh, Comic-Con 2013, there's a lot of videos. And that panel for Game of Thrones, and I got to blame you that uh, Game of Thrones, I'm I'm addicted to it. So I got (laughs) to watch it now. I got to watch every episode probably twice. But uh, it's a great show, and I I really love that panel. Yeah, and you can see most of them on YouTube, and you don't have to sleep outside to see it. Yeah, Well, keeping up with the accelerators in town, now joining us in the studio is Don Lippert from the Pacific International Center for High-Tech Research and she's here to tell us about the next phase of the Energy Accelerator. Welcome to the show, Don. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be back. Yeah, so, you know, we, we um, have been kind of following the whole Blue Startups thing, and, and I know you guys were kind of teaming up with the Blue Startups, and you had a whole cohort of, of energy um, uh, companies that were participating. Maybe quickly tell us who were some of the ones that were, um, uh, I guess, recognized or did really good as a result of the Accelerator program. Absolutely. So we had our first cohort of accelerator companies. We had eight companies, Mm -hmm. four from Hawaii and four from the mainland. And overall, all of the companies we've worked with are 17. And 
we're very happy to announce that they've raised a lot of money, a lot of follow-on funding, $63 million, in fact. Wow. Equity and other kinds of funding. And two examples of companies from our latest cohort that you know, might be interesting are Ibis Networks, which is a local company that's an Oceanet spinoff. So that's they the have uh, smart the, socket? Exactly. So they have this IntelliSocket that can save you money on everything from a coffee maker to a printer by turning off the device remotely mm-hmm. on a timer um, in a mesh network whenever you're not using it. Oh, that's so cool. it saves you a lot of money. And they've really made a big splash moving forward, talking to a lot of investors, uh, you know, splitting their time between Silicon Valley and here and, and doing a really great job bringing this technology to market. Mm-hmm. It's been a lot of time in development, like a lot of energy technologies, and now it's time to really take it to the big time. Mm-hmm. So that's one. And then the other one that I'll mention is a mainland company that has a technology that's very applicable to Hawaii, and it's Conscious Commuter Corporation. They're the ones with the electric bike share, mm-hmm. which is something that Honolulu has been very interested in as an alternative transportation means. I know we're talking about Uber, and I think in general, in terms of disrupting the transportation market and providing more options to people, these kinds of companies are really key. Mm-hmm. Great. So uh, in terms of um, – I, I was kind of curious with the – with the Blue Startups uh, model, the, the monies that they would put into the companies would result in some some equity play for Blue Startups. But in, in the Energy Accelerator, Pictar's case, would I mean, you guys put some money in, but did that result in any sort of, uh, you know, like equity stake in the companies? Well, it's actually really interesting. So our funds are structured as grants. Right, um, right. Blue Startup provides about $20,000 per company for, mm-hmm. I think, around about 6 or 7% yeah. equity. Mm-hmm. We provide about $100,000 per company and for a lot less equity, about 1%. And it's structured as a donation because we are a nonprofit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's a really different model for an accelerator because we're trying to solve really hard problems that take a little more money behind them. Um, for our future companies going forward, uh, we will be asking for 1% equity from our earlier stage companies mm-hmm. and other kinds of contributions back to the companies and back to the community from our other companies. Mm-hmm. So now you're working on, I would imagine, the next round. Mm-hmm. Uh, was there any refinements to the program or improvements or additions that uh, are notable before you pick up the second set of uh, companies? Absolutely. So we have a really intensive program here in Honolulu, but we also take companies to Silicon Valley to raise investment and meet with strategic partners, which is critical in the energy space. Um, for our next round, we're looking for companies that, again, solve interesting problems in Hawaii. Secondly, that commercialize innovation and make money from it. And third, we're looking for companies that want to contribute back to the community and be part of our ecosystem because it really takes a village to raise these kinds of companies. Mm-hmm. Now, in your next round, will you also be sort of partnering with the uh, Blue Startups folks? Absolutely. This is an ecosystem effort. And in order for startups to succeed, we need a strong community of organizations that are supporting them and providing services. So a lot of the things that we do have a lot of overlap with Blue Startups and a lot of the other entrepreneurial organizations around here. We mm-hmm. also work really closely with the university mm-hmm. and the state, city, and others. Cool. Are you imagining a similar mix of local and non-local companies to, to diversify the pool? Yes. We're, we really love the model of bringing in companies that have networks and investors from all over the country and combining them and their expertise with Hawaii companies and seeing where there can be synergies and places to fit. It's really provided a interesting and engaging mix, and the companies love meeting each other and mm-hmm. working together. Now, with the uh, uh, the Blue Startups uh, cohort, they went up and uh, did a kind of a demo day with, I think, uh, tech startups. Uh, is that something that's, that the energy uh, cohort would also do? 
We actually did that in partnership. Yeah, so we actually were were all up there together, oh, okay, and we did it with okay. at 500 startups all together. Oh, yeah. It was a really amazing day, and we brought a lot of energy uh, investors as mm-hmm. well as strategic partners mm-hmm. to that to that event. And I think because Hawaii is a small place and we have a lot of overlap, mm-hmm. it's really important to do these events together. So we did Demo Day here together. We're doing it there together. And as there are other accelerators and entrepreneurship efforts that start up in Hawaii, we want to bring them all into the umbrella as well. Oh, that's great. So if somebody had a commercialization-ready uh, technology or an innovative or disruptive idea for the energy market, uh, both here or elsewhere, uh, what's the deadline to, to apply and uh, what, what are some of the dates? Yes, yeah, so we're opening applications on August 1st. We're launching a new website, www.energyaccelerator.com. We spell accelerator E-X-C-E-L. And we'll be looking for companies to fund from 100, about $100,000 to a $1 million per company, depending on the size of company and the stage of growth. Um, this is incredibly important for companies in the energy realm. There was actually a great article today in Green Tech Media about the new landscape for funding for energy companies. Mm-hmm. And they specifically mentioned the role of non-dilutive funding like grant funding. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. article is posted on our Twitter. You can check it out at, at energy underscore Excel. Um, but we're opening on August 1st. And the first folks to find out about our application and what it takes will be the folks who follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. Fantastic. Sounds great. Yeah. So uh, I, I would advise everybody who's got a company ready to rock and roll with an accelerator to follow the Twitter account and check out the website and, and, and make you get your application in by the uh, August 1st. Thanks, We're Don, for joining on us. August 1st. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thanks, John, for, Don, for joining us. Thank you so much. And that's what's been happening this week. We'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Jan Solovsky and Todd Robertson to talk about video gamification. What novel solutions for what industries can you create by blending video with gamification? We'd, of course, love your questions and thoughts as part of the conversation, so please don't hesitate to give us a call, 941-3689, or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. And, of course, we're monitoring Twitter here as long as the Wi-Fi doesn't go out. Uh, and, of course, you can tweet us at Bite Marks or at Hawaii. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Economic health can be measured in countless ways, interest rates and jobs numbers and RV sales. We're a function of the health of the economy. When things start to change in the economy, then we definitely feel it. I'm Kai Rizdal, homes on wheels, riding high. That story and the rest of the day's business news next time on Marketplace from APM. This evening at 6, following Bite Marks Cafe. I think communication is vital, and I think because we have public radio, we have fair and unbiased communication that comes from a variety of perspectives. I think that's one of the few things we have left as a free nation, so it's really important to preserve that kind of communication, and public radio brings that to us. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today is Jan Solowski and Todd Robertson. Jan is an associate professor over in the Information and Computer Science Department at UH and is the president and CEO of a video gamification company called Par Winner. Todd, meanwhile, is the president and CEO at Hyperspective Studios. He specializes in animation. He's a video and interactive media producer and director, and he's experienced in all aspects of visual communications and media production. And of course, we're all we're curious about the applications of, of 
video and gamification. Of course, we'd love to hear your comments and questions about what that both means and how it gets applied to video. Of course, that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 1877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Jan and Todd, we want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you for having me. Now, Thank of course, you. you know, it's easy to say video and gamification in the sort of the same breath, but you know, we've talked a little bit about gamification and using sort of game theory and game uh, techniques in various kinds of, let's say, applications and, and um, let's say, mobile, mobile devices, mobile applications. Uh, what is it that you can start to, I mean, what is it in your definition, Todd, is video gamification? Well, I probably have a different definition for what video gamification is. Um, you know, gamification is, I think, a, a popular topic these days. It's a buzzword of taking game dynamics, uh, what I like to call basic psychological motivators, and applying them to different aspects of work, play, learning, all everything. I think, uh, you know, Jan's probably going to have a good uh, definition for this, but my understanding and my uh application of video gamification is that there the trend for pretty much all media in my view is moving toward interactivity whether it's ed- entertainment media education media whether it's video film uh it's moving toward interactive and i think that you're seeing a lot of trend also in in just gaming where a lot of gaming is actually trying to move toward uh becoming more like film more like video um having the narrative qualities of, of that media. And so we're seeing a merge. And I think the trend is, is going to continue to move in that direction where film, television, gaming is all going to become one in the same. So the, so the key word that you use to sort of relate to gamification is interaction. And, and, and that element of how you, I guess, incentivize people to continue to be engaged in whatever media you're talking about is sort of that that piece of that gamification. Maybe maybe Jan, I mean, do you have you have a similar definition, or or does it sort of uh, diverge from that? Uh, well, it's very interesting that we are using video games as a term. Actually, it's a misnomer. Video games were never about videos. Uh, it was just video screen, and uh, it's not until now. Uh, when video and gamification come together to be really about videos. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you uh, just say gamification, uh, mostly it's being nowadays applied to business uh, enterprise context. And uh, we feel that what really the big potential about it is you apply it just uh, out there for videos for any contents and any context. So it's not only where you apply it, whether it's business or entertainment, but also to what uh, other common aspect, common uh, content you applied. Mm-hmm. Now, Jan, um, you've been with the University of Hawaii for, I think you're celebrating a significant anniversary soon, in fact. Was it 25 years? 25 quarter century at UH. And yes. of course, the term gamification didn't even exist before 2002. Um, and the way that we discuss this topic certainly didn't exist when you started studying computers and interact uh, interactions. So how did you arrive at uh, this emphasis and this excitement over applying uh, game theory to video media uh, from before these things were even out there? Uh, that's actually a long, long story. So bear with <laughs> me. 
And when I came about two years after I came here, uh, the human-computer interaction uh, was kind of common. Uh, I have made uh, some some research uh, in it, and I was looking for a new field. And at that time, multimedia didn't really have an established name. And so it was hypermedia in Europe, and so I started with hypermedia lab at UH. And uh, we had uh, even uh, videos integrated. Uh, It was uh, University of Hawaii information system with all the buildings and uh, faculty and their research. And we incorporated video already at that time. Uh, And then when the first time the video arrived on a computer, it was called Apple Video. Nowadays, it's uh, QuickTime. And I said, okay, this is wonderful. Finally, the last piece of the puzzle is on a computer. What do I do with it? And so I took a music video. At that time, Mariah Carey, top 10 dream lover. (laughs) And I said, okay, this is something which I could use. So I digitized that. And I said, okay, what do I do with it? And I started playing with the lyrics of the song and made a fill-in-the-blanks game out of it. So it was presenting the lyrics with blanks inside, and you had to fill in the right word. But the words were in French and Japanese and Chinese, and so it became second-language application, second-language learning game, vocabulary. So I can see how that kind of leads to where we are today. Now, Todd, as a multimedia producer... Um, I got to tell you, there's a part of me, I mean, for one thing, we are on radio. I certainly like the printed word, and I like audio inputs because I can listen to something while I'm doing something else. I've actually been very reluctant about the overall trend where everybody says video is the most compelling content on the Internet. But even I know that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm old-fashioned. Um, I mean, wh- from your point of view, is video essentially the the killer uh, medium now for people to gather information, whether it's whether it's for business or for education or entertainment. I think uh, I, I I have a biased opinion about it. I, I think being a, a video producer, also being inter, in interactive media, um, I tend to think that it is. But um, we're seeing that a lot of the applications that we're developing now. Uh, when we have to do any kind of education for the application, or even when we're when we're selling a certain product, it's going to lead with video. I think video is always going to be and and short attention span theater video. I mean, like two minute or less kind of videos are are the real trend uh, for engaging interactive, fast media mm-hmm. that that people are used to on the internet. Um, I, no, I think you're right. I mean, I, I think uh, the video format is is compelling. But I think people's attention spans nowadays are so so, so short that uh, that that less than two minute video has got to capture you because oftentimes if you see a video that says it's ten minutes long, the likelihood of you actually watching the whole video is very small. I'm kind of curious, you know, when we often talk about um, you know gamification, I don't know if that's a term that's being overused and and perhaps uh, abused. But Jan, I mean, when you, when you talk about vi- uh, gamification, I mean, are there are there specific techniques or some, let's say, best practices in game theory that are being applied to gamification? I mean, what does that really translate to? 
Well, uh, the gamification, uh, the typical understanding of it, you have leaderboards, you have score, you have badges which you can earn and so on, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that's that's kind of what we are of offering as well. I think applying it to video, you touched on a very interesting point. Uh, some video producers we talked to uh, saying, well, I don't need extra engagement layer on top of my videos. Uh, they are schooled in providing the entire engagement in their videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was last year at uh, Digital Hollywood. About half of the panels, uh, the panelists were citing Nielsen research about second screen. Second screen being at that time 60% of people uh, doing some texting, twittering, and, and so on. And uh, my point was, okay, what we should be offering is obviously there's not enough engagement in the video, in the TV, uh, because people are playing with their iPads. Uh, What we need and what we can provide and what we are trying to provide as a company is the second screen on the first screen. So something which is synchronized with the video, something which is also related to the video, Mm -hmm. rather than something which is completely unrelated. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We're talking to Jan Stolowski and Todd Robertson about video gamification. And if you're a video content creator and trying to figure out if an additional layer of interactivity will help you get your message across, we'd certainly love to hear from you. You can give us a call here at 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. So, uh, Jan, we uh, we you, we mentioned your company, Par Winner, and it's basically sounds like that this is the market you're going for, but not just necessarily for business. I can see the applications for training. I can see the applications for education. But uh, uh, where is Par Winner now? I mean, are you um, still developing it in a academic sense, or is it ready to go out there and um, take on the marketplace? Oh, we have launched. So we have a product, actually. Uh, So as far as the technical development, yes, of course, there's tons of uh, things which I would like to integrate and innovate with. Uh, But, yeah, we we can offer it. So uh, what our kind of claim to, we have two claims to fame. Uh, One thing is existing and new patent filing. Uh, so we have that. The patents are really kind of ancient. Uh, they date from 1996. Uh, at that time, that was actually uh, uh, the result of the game videos with music videos, which mm-hmm. I mentioned. Mm. And by the way, uh, I received uh, permission from Michael Jackson at one point to use his music videos from Thriller. Uh, for for these games, so it's just a side note. Uh, our second uh, second claim to fame is that we have an entire authoring system uh, on we- on the web. So you have a video, you can come to our website, uh, you get an account, you can say, okay, I have a video on YouTube or on Vimeo or some someplace else, and let me now use this interactive tool to split it up into pieces virtually, so segments of video, and associate these segments of videos with tasks. Right now, in order to make it simple, the tasks are simply multiple choice, you know, quizzes, trivia games. But what uh, you can integrate easily are polls, for instance. So you can have one task, which is a quiz, followed by a survey task. And then we have things like click-through hints, which lead to another website. Mm. So that could, that could be for advertising, could lead to Wikipedia to gain more knowledge about specific topic, topics and so on. So 
Now, Todd, as a, a video creator, and right now I would say the most dominant platform is YouTube. And certainly there might be others, Vimeo, for example. But a lot of people are using that. And I can see now that a lot of people are taking advantage of some of the built-in tools there to put a link over someone's head when they say something or subtitles here or uh, pop-up messages that annoy the heck out of me on their videos and such. I mean, when you want to do something like that, when you essentially want to replicate, say, something more interactive than just a video that plays, but something better than, I would say, maybe a kiosk in a hotel lobby with buttons to push, you know, a choose-your-own-adventure sort of thing, how do you currently accomplish that if someone says, I like the video you made for me, Todd. How do I make my uh, users have to act and interact with it in some way. Well, usually we want to try to build that into the whole planning process, the way that we work anyway. Um, we tend to try to build the, the uh, interactivity into the narrative of the, of the video uh, so that it has intuitive stop points, pl- points where you can actually interact. We want to keep you engaged. So we'll give you a two-minute narrative video and then stop, make you interact with it for a little while, then give you some more narrative. Um, are, I think what you're asking is maybe what kind of tools or what kind of applications would you normally use? Obviously, there's the, there's the Par Winner application now, uh, but the the tools that we use vary everything from actually just hard coding and, and building it from scratch to uh, using tools like Adobe Flash uh, was a popular tool for quite a while. Was was was. <laughs> <laughs> I you notice I use was yes. as. Uh, HTML5 is now kind of the chosen platform for delivering uh, interactive media, especially when you have engagement with video. Uh, but you, yeah, you want to do it at the, in the right way in the right time so that you're not annoying the heck out of people, so that they're, they're waiting for it to come. They're, they want to interact with your, with your media rather than just get it out of my way right, as right. quick as I can. Yeah, yeah. so do you, um, have, you, have you sort of experimented to the extent where when you have the narrative and then it has a, let's say, a logical point of stopping to engage them in another, let's say, interaction. Uh, have you found that there's ways of doing it that are better to keep them engaged as opposed to have them continue the narrative and then, oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a commercial break, so now they're, they've <laughs> yeah. broken their attention and they're off doing something else? Well, I, we found that it's, it's important, at least in our, the successes that we've had in the, in the interactive media that we've done, the game game developments that we've done is that when you build the narrative into all pieces of it so when you build the narrative into the video and that flows into the interactive component you're not losing the user they're not just going from i've been watching this video to now i'm interacting with something completely different it's, mm-hmm. it's got to be all kind of ubiquitous in an experience for the user well i know that one of the advantages of the par winner approach is that it can use rather than creating special video for it it can actually be applied to existing video content that you might have already invested in so i want to talk a little bit about that we also of course want to hear from our listeners so we'll hold that thought and we'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with jan stilovsky and todd robertson about game dynamics and videos and of course uh, if you have any comments or questions and want to ask us what gamification techniques best work for audience participation we'd love to have you give us a call the number is 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands at 1-877-941-3689 this is bite marks cafe so you don't like big money influencing your government neither does robert mcchesney the longtime voice in media reform 
will join us this week on Town Square to talk about what he and co-author John Nichols say is the currency of election campaigns, dollarocracy. That's Thursday at 5 on Town Square. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm David Bennett, author of Voyage of Purpose. Next time on New Dimensions, I'm so excited I'll be talking about spiritual wisdom from near death back to life. Sunday morning at 11. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa, and we're talking to Jan Stolowski and Todd Robertson about video gamification. And, of course, how important is it to have incentive systems tied back to the real world? You can give us a call here. The number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. And we want to welcome Mike from Pearl City to Bite Marks Cafe. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you doing? Good, good. I uh, just wanted to put this thought out there regarding gamification, the whole second screen experience. You know, someone's watching a show, and then they also got the little iPad, iPhone thing going on. And you talked about how people would be watching a show, and they would be also, you know, doing something separate on their phone and just try to unify that. Mm-hmm. Well, my whole viewpoint on it is if I'm watching a show, the reason I pull out my iPod or my cell phone or whatever to surf the Internet, go on Facebook, whatever, is maybe because the actual entertainment on the show isn't engaging enough. Mm. And so even then, if you did have a second screen experience, I'm more than likely to not even engage with that because, first off, the show's entertainment in itself just isn't compelling enough to get me to pay attention to it. I'm not really going to be interested in investing my time into this little game that goes along with it or the second screen experience. I've already had that firsthand with a couple of shows. I don't know um, some of the stuff HBO has done and other stations, they've done their whole second screen thing, and it's just a complete waste of time, it seems like. <laughs> mm, you know, if I'm going to watch this show and I like it, I'm going to sit there and watch it and pay attention to it regardless. You know, same thing, if I'm playing a game, I just want to play a game. I don't want to sit through a five- to ten-minute cutscene. I want to actually experience ah, the game cutscenes. itself, you know. You look at some of the more popular games out in society today, it's it's not these big, long cutscene things. Yeah, those are still doing good, but you got, like, your Call of Duties, pick up, play, shoot. Another big one I see the the wife and kids playing is the Candy Crush, and there's no story involved. You know, you're just sitting there playing the game. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to get out that out there and see how you guys thought about that. That's a fantastic yeah, comment. Point. Thank you. Thanks, Mike, for your call. You're so, welcome. You all have a great day. Thank you. You too. Um, and I kind of agree with him in the sense that I my second screen experience is not watching the Walking Dead companion app for trivia and stuff about the show. I'm watching The Walking Dead. That's fine. But if anything, I'm on Twitter tweeting with my friends about The Walking Dead. That might be as far as my show additional engagement goes, but it's actually not because I want to go any deeper into what might already be kind of a shallow entertainment product. So, uh, Jan, how I mean, how do you approach that as the content creator as well as the ga- the gamification layer if somebody says that just watching the video is already enough for them? Uh, we were just discussing exactly the same issue this morning. Uh, with one interactive video producer. And uh, we kind of agreed that we are just on the brink of defining new language, new language for interactive video or interactive media, in fact. And yes, right now all the video producers are being taught in uh, their courses how to do engaging video. 
right? And all the game producers are being taught how to make a game engaging. But if you have this combination, this I haven't. I, I have seen one course on a Coursera, which might be touching on it. But I think what we are trying to do with our tool is essentially give the creative people the possibility to define that language, to use it, and to see where you can, how you can make it uh, engaging. Uh, let me give you an interesting uh, uh, perspective on that. Uh, one lady who uh, might be uh, interested in making cooking show, her cooking show video, into uh, games. Uh, so uh, her comment was, well, what you really are doing is more on the educational side. And my point was, well, you know, we could do just a trivia quiz engaging. It could be, in fact, fun. So, for instance, we have questions and answers, of course, but each of these answers has a feedback, and the feedback could be a one-liner, right? And so I, as a player, might be interested in that and, in fact, say, okay, uh, let me repeat the game. Let me go back and let me click on the incorrect answer just so that I get the funny feedback, in which case, let's say for advertisers or let's say a trailer, uh, the player will go through it a couple of times and will see the trailer and is much more likely, I would say, to go and uh, to see the movie in the in the theater. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so I think uh, you know I, I like what Mike was saying in in that uh, currently because the idea of video gamification and the combination of the two are somewhat new that. You know, if you're going to put out a video and have a narrative around a video, you're going to concentrate on that medium and tell your story through the video. If you're going to have a game and you're going to have, you know, people interact with this really intensively uh, immersive game, you're going to do that. And then so the combination of the two at this stage of the game is, is early that you have maybe um, uh, difficulty trying to sort of engage people in that combination. But then... I think, Jan, you're bringing up a good point. I mean, if, if there's something that is more geared toward, let's say, uh, cooking or, or maybe there's something that uh, is, is encouraging more of an interaction as a result of the video, are there things that you can insert into the video along the way that get more sort of uh, user feedback as a result of that, you know, result of that uh, engagement? Um, Todd, I wanted to get your feedback because uh, you're doing you're doing it more the approach of the narrative. I mean, do you see actually getting more into the video experience and getting more, let's say, data from that uh, uh, person as as a result of being in the video? Well, I think that uh, well, you just brought up data, and uh, I I think that it's really challenging to get the right kind of data about people that are watching videos. And that's what's different about interactive mm -hmm, is that mm -hmm. you have the opportunity to capture pretty much any kind of data that you want being anything from what they, what they know, what they're learning, what, what level of engagement they're having with you at that, at that particular point. Um, Mike said something interesting. He brought up a game that had absolutely no narrative. Uh, that's where gamification, that's where the, the whole idea of game dynamics really come in is that uh, there are a lot of game companies out there. Zynga, of course, had their day uh, in developing all, everything from Farmville to uh, Mafia Wars where they're just using a, a simple set of, of human motivators, game dynamics, they call them. 
in a context that is very simple. It doesn't require a narrative, but it's highly engaging, is going to make the user come back over and over and over mm-hmm. to experience whatever it is they're, they're trying to get you to experience. And at the end result, uh, at least for, for Zynga or for most game developers or, or for us folks in business, we want to have some kind of action from the user. Mm-hmm. And that action usually is we want them to spend some money. They want them to look at something that we're selling. We you know, want them to buy that, uh, that download that, that we have. We want that, you know, so right. there's, there's always some kind of engagement or action that's going to be associated with it. Mm-hmm. And so those motivators are really key in driving people to, to make that to, or to take, take that action. Mm-hmm. Now, Jan, um, speaking of data, I mean, so with Parwinner and your approach, uh, do you have different strategies on how to get valuable and useful information about the level of engagement of the viewer of a video? Because I know, for example, I mean, you might say that it's interactive, but if the question that pops up on screen is, what is your age, 25 to 34, 35 to 49, or you know, are you interested in buying a car in the next four months? I know I'm not actually being tapped for anything but demographic information that you can use and sell. There's nothing engaging about filling out a survey like that. So uh, what are you doing differently that will ensure somebody interacts? And does that give you the data you need to prove to a content creator that it's effective? Good question. We are, uh, our primary business model is not being content creator. Yes, we have connection with, uh, you know, associate here, video producers, uh, writers, script writers. So we can do that as well. Uh, but the primary direction is uh you know, you have HR department, you have uh, advertising department, marketing department. Uh, don't you want to try and use the tool in order to create something? You have tons of videos, oh, say Hawaiian Airlines, right? Uh, they have uh, uh, Sky, uh, what is it called? Uh, Hawaii Sky. And they have all these onboard videos. Mm, right, right. Right? Just imagine the captive audience five hours on the flight uh, someplace to Seattle and people being able to play with the videos they have. Uh, and the best one, you know, most score, the uh, flight attendant comes with a glass of champagne. Right? Mm. So I think that there is a lot of potential uh, in creating the contents and finding the language which will afterwards work. What we do offer is the data. So whatever question you put into in using the authoring system around your video, you get the data. How many people answered A, B, C, right? And since we have the polls integrated uh, seamlessly, when I have a poll, uh, it's not worth my time. But if I have a game and the poll is just part of it, that's a different story, right? What we do have also is real-time notification API, what we call application programming interface. So, in fact, when you as a player click on yes or no, then afterwards your website or the server knows what you clicked. And then you can follow up with call to action, Mm. you know, discount on the St. Regis presidential suite in Kauai because you said in your opinion poll question, you, you have never been to Kauai. You know, that's, uh, that's really kind of interesting because I, I want to I ask you about how you go about crafting uh, some of the interactive elements of the video in order to get worthwhile data 
and you know come up with data analytics. But before we do that, I want to welcome uh, Bryce from Kakaako to Bite Marks Cafe. Welcome to the show. Hey, I just had a quick comment. Sure. Um, I uh, long time listener, by the way. Thanks for having me on. I just you know last night for the first time I I noticed on YouTube that they've got these interactive links that pop up you know, at the end of people's videos directing you to their other videos and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I always thought, you know, they were kind of bothersome, like exactly what you guys were talking about. But I was watching a video last night of these guys who were shooting a gun underwater with a slow motion camera. And at the end of the video, they, they said, you know, our friend who does this other uh, video site is going to do a video that explains the science behind the big explosion cloud that you see, the water droplets that you see flying upwards. And uh, for the first time, I clicked on that link, and it was really gratifying. So I think from an educational standpoint, at least, there's a huge advantage um, or potential advantage, whether or not you're talking about documentary or even if it's just uh, a regular narrative, like to just to go in more, more in-depth to explain to the people, you know, what, what context we're talking about here in case you, you, you have questions about it. If it's placed in the right spot, it could be an uh, incredibly gratifying experience for the end user. No, oh, that's a that's an excellent point, and I think it's uh, it's the uh, the power of uh, I guess showcasing, you know, let's say the primary video, but then giving you the opportunity to see a little bit more in depth, which I think a lot of shows actually do. I mean, if you're watching a show on let's say PBS or something, and then um, they always refer to maybe a, a more in depth interview, you know, go to the website, right, and that drives to the website. Mm-hmm. But I think the par winner approach certainly is again, it's all there. Just like what YouTube is attempting to do, but uh, it gives you more options and more tools to layer things on top of that. But very, thank you for your call for yeah, sure. Yeah, Bryce. Thanks a lot. And I feel the same way sometimes when I click on something because it looked interesting. I'm like, I just clicked on an ad. What am I? What's going on? But it's about compelling content. Yeah. So, Jan, I mean, so the content that you want to, uh, let's say, derive from the viewer, um, how do you start to design that to get the best sort of data analytics uh, from all the users? Well, the authoring system and therefore the games are actually very, very simple. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of trivia type of quiz questions, polls, which are nothing else but questions without right and wrong. And what we have this uh, pin board where you can pin a picture or a link, uh, which, by the way, exactly is the link to another website. And it could be educational, Wikipedia and so on. And uh, it's to the uh, the content creator has to come up with the particular game. I but I give you an example. Uh, some of the uh, applications are obvious. Uh, take uh, baseball. Major Baseball League, uh, you see uh, the pitcher and the hitter, and uh, you can immediately say, okay, what are the statistics? And there will be a lot of players saying, okay, I'm proud of knowing uh, the uh, the statistics of this particular mm-hmm, pitcher, mm-hmm. right? You know, you brought up an excellent application, and I think airlines should do this because every time I fly, uh, you know, fly on one of the, uh, the Trans-Pacific Airlines, I mean, they always ask, you know what is the, the game is the, what's the mid the midpoint right and they they give out some di- you know some sort of uh, um, parameters and they have you calculate what the midpoint is and I never I never win now if they were to tell everybody why don't you watch this video and you know maybe say uh, give some feedback on on of the, you know the particular the particulars of that video and as a result of the Passengers participating in this in this game of uh, watching this video, they get some they get champagne or they get some you know get some you know giveaway by the uh, by the airline. I mean, I think I think people. I would give play. you a better example. 
bird. Okay, uh, look at all the, in the beginning of your flight, you have all these videos explaining where the exits are, where are the uh, oxygen masks and so on. No one is watching it. Right. What was the last time you paid attention? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now imagine it would be put into a game. Where is the next exit? Is it behind you? Oh, and, and, before then, and, you? Gets, you... and then you get a glass of champagne, the best guy. Do... Everyone will start doing it, right? So it's a lot of social bene- socially beneficial applications which oh, you have through these yeah. games. And I certainly, I mean, I recently, when I went to Comic-Con, mm-hmm. I was using the Hawaiian Air uh, interactive system. And actually, there, it, there isn't much there, but it was much more interesting to be tapping that screen than to be not doing anything else. So mm-hmm. I spent mm-hmm. a lot of time yeah. just tapping on things. Um, I also think that uh, to make people pay attention, in, in addition to re- rewards, you could say something like, if you don't point on this screen where all of the exit doors are, your bags will come off last. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, f- closing thoughts, Todd. I mean, one of the things that... Uh, that Jan seems to be making clear is that it's the content creator still that has to know what's the best way to connect the interactive elements to their content. So it still comes down in many ways to understanding your message and um, having uh, quality content in the first place. Yeah, like I, like I was saying earlier, I really believe that that's essential to create an experience that is going to be of value to the user. Uh, one of the callers mentioned that, you know, why would I go on this TV show's you know, interactive, uh, you know, I, I guess brother or whatever you want to call it when I don't even care about the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, you really have to create, you have to kind of design the content, design the narrative in such a way that you're not, you're using interactivity in the appropriate way. You're using it to either get action, to get information, give information or do something that is of value to the user and p- hopefully of value to you, the content creator. And so I, I think that that is really essential for, for content so, creators so, to, so to think So real quick, about we we're kind of at the end. Uh, real, um, give us a website where we can go visit uh, some of the things that you guys are doing. So uh, our website is highperspective.com, H-Y Perspective. Come check us out. Sounds, sounds Fantastic. Good. And Jan, when somebody wants to use this uh, authoring tool to make their videos interactive, where can they find out more about ParWinner? ParWinner.com. By the way, uh, Par Winner, lots of people ask us, uh, how did you come up with the name? And that was the first, it's in honor of our daughter, who was the first game creator. Her name is Parvina. And so it's about winning. It's about games. Jan Solowski is the president and CEO of Par Winner. And Todd Robertson heads up High Perspective Studio. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll learn about something called the exemplary state. And if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, email us at feedback at bitemarkscafe.org. Or, of course, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Koslovich. And we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a cut off the new OMD album, English Electric, and a song called Night Cafe. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Bite Marks Cafe.